listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It is the aftermath of the beautiful Bart Ehrman episode and I'm, I'm feeling a great deal of pressure because probably some people who listen to us through Bart Ehrman are listening and I, I hope we do well <laughs> enough. hope we do well enough to keep you. That, that, that laugh. I really heard- liked uh, Bart Ehrman uh, much more than, than I knew that I would on a personal level. Do you know what I mean, Bart? Like, oh yeah. He, he seemed so just nice, like just awesome. He's, he's one of us, man. He's a human being. Um, he's, he's, he's a, he's a good humanist. He's a good, he's a good person. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm guaranteeing you some people are going to listen to us for the first time. And, I, and I'm dead serious here. Like this is going to be what we call a Q and a episode. Actually, we don't call it that. It just is that, um, people send questions in and we talk about them and it's all about this kind of, how do you make the most of your life on the other side of faith? Or if you never had faith, um, how do you become a person who, who is more human and humane, who has better relationships, who, who makes things better for other people, who is fo- more full of wonder and stuff. It's a very upbeat kind of deal. And, and if you're here for the first time, I hope you like it. Um, and, 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 and the guy that's laughing and, and, and commenting about how much he likes Bart Ehrman, that's John Wright. He is the producer of this show and my great friend. Hello. All right. So John and I ended up having this super long conversation. What we were talking about was the Howard Stern thing, but then you, you seem, you seem to be going to tie it into something about your own parents. I, you were asking me how I was and I was saying, um, I'm suddenly, Oh yeah. Yeah. Once every few nights I'm not sleeping. It's weird. Yeah. Are are you finding your, I know Marty's always struggled with sleeping. Yeah. She, it's interesting. Um, she's not doing nearly as bad as she usually does. And, you know, it's interesting though, John. Um, I talk to a very mentally unhealthy person in my life mm-hmm. um, who's just wonderful, thoughtful, trying desperately to overcome the amount of damage that was heaped upon him as a as a child, like bad messages, mm-hmm. just yeah. You know, I mean, everything he's got, he comes by honestly. That's all I'll say. But uh but he was saying to me, he said, one of the weird things about this time is he said, I feel like the rest of the world is understanding what it's like to be depressed. Mm. This idea of like, you're like, I have two good days and then all of a sudden I have a bad day and like, nothing's different. I just feel awful and I can't not feel awful. And sometimes it lasts for two or three days. And, and right, it's like, yeah. welcome to my world. Yeah, yeah. And does that feel comforting on some level? Yeah, I think he feels like everybody else is getting a little taste of mental illness. Um, right. As this thing wears on, there's this a psychic divide or a political divide between people that are ready to reopen and right. that feel that it's all overblown or feel that it is really something that only is really dangerous to the, the vulnerable and sort of like, look, get those people out of, out of the way and the rest of us are fine. Like we just need to get on with it. And then people that are incredibly committed to not getting sick and not spreading the cur- the virus and, you know, are, are ready to stay locked down almost indefinitely. Right. And in, 
it's in some ways it's a little bit like that old joke about the uh you know the 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 pig and the chicken looking at the farmer and saying you know he's a good he's a good guy he feeds us every day we should we should do something nice for him and the, and the chicken says yeah we should offer him a ham and eggs breakfast and the pig says you know for you that's uh you know that's <laughs> that's that's a contribution for me it's a total commitment um <laughs> but you know different people have different things at stake here and so mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the people that are the most prone to say we need to listen to the science and we need to stay locked down are people that have jobs that they can do from home. And I feel like the more blue collar people are saying, listen, you know, I got to reopen that diner. I, I, I got to get, I got to get back out on that, on that road crew. Like I, I got to go to work. Yep. Yep. And, and I, and, and so I, I really get both sides. Like I get the people that are saying, listen, my freedom, you know, is, is real. And I also get the people that are saying, hey, you know, my 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 fear is real. I do too. I find myself very much in the middle on this one. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I just, I, I see it easily both ways. And I think that the, 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 the answer is probably not one of the extremes, right? It's probably in the middle. Yeah, and and the idea that there's the thing the thing about the answer is whatever the answer is, it is a um, it is an imperfect answer. Right, that's right. It's a compromise. It's it's we're going to sacrifice Something. some sacred cows. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, this, this is process. A, this is this is this is a lose lose situation. What do you do when people are? Um, have you, has anyone extended their hand to you to shake it? That has not. Yes, yes. Okay, so. And cu- what did you do? Cute little story. So yeah. since we moved into this house, um, there's been dogs uh, from the first night, dogs barking all through the night in our neighborhood. And if you have an insomniac wife, it's a big issue. She wakes up, she hears the dogs, she can't get back to sleep. Right, now she's all she's focused on is the dogs. Yeah, and it's been, you know, and, and, I mean, literally, two, Two nights after we moved here, she's like, we, we made a big mistake. We shouldn't have moved into this neighborhood. I didn't know that, that you know, we, we were never here at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Note to self, next time you're thinking about buying a house in a new neighborhood, go there at two o'clock in the morning sometime and see how loud it is. Oh my so, gosh. So um, a few months ago, I got up at two in the morning listening to the dogs. I mean, we've tried everything. Like I've, I've tried dog whistles to shut them up and called the SPCA, called the police. Nobody's doing anything. And so I got up and I, I walked around the block and I figured out where the, where the main dog is. He's on the street behind us, you know, about f- six houses down. Um, and it's, it's, it's a fairly decently kept house in the front, but the back looks like a junkyard. And, uh, and these are junkyard dogs. So. Um, I went to the guy's door and I said, I, I knocked and it's this old guy comes to the door. He's like four pit bulls behind him. And he's like, what do you want? And I was like, you know, I live just over there. I said, you know, my, my wife and I can't sleep with the dogs. And he's like, they're not my dogs bargain. He said, and even if they are, you know, dogs got to protect the property. I said, yeah. I said, it's not like it's one time. I said, it's literally from two o'clock in the morning until six o'clock in the morning. Um, and I said, I don't want to be a jerk. I'm just, I don't know what to do. Like my wife's not sleeping. Um, 
And he, he goes back. I mean, we talk. He's like, it's not my dog, but you know, maybe it was my dog. You know, there's nothing you can do. It's a dog. And um, he says, I don't let my dog out. He said, but my dog's protecting the property. I'm like, well, if your dog's not out, then he's like, like, I just couldn't figure it out. I mean, and he's, yeah. he's not all there. Um, but uh, he kept saying, well, I'll do what I can, but you know, I don't think it's my dog, um, but I'll do what I can. And um, so he, he finally sort of says like, I'll do what I can. And as I'm walking away, he goes like, don't call the police on me, man. <laughs> don't call, don't, don't call them. Please don't call the police on me. <laughs> Which lets me know, like, he knows that on some level, like it is his dog. And he's like, please don't call the police on me. And I said, man, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to call anybody. I'm just, he's like, I'll do what I can. I do what I can. So the next night, bone silent. Cause his, wow. do his dog's the one that winds up all the other dogs. So his bone silent. Next day, bone silent. Like, like it's been, it goes like three weeks, bone silence. One night the dog was out for a little, for like five minutes and it barked and then, you know, and I'm like, he got the message. Amazing. So yeah. even in the middle of coronavirus, I went to a local store and bought a 24 pack of Michelob Light Ultras. Just guessing, like, cause I've lived in this neighborhood. I'm like, I think that'll be a good choice. And so I pull up in front of his house one sa on, on Saturday afternoon. He's sitting in front of his house drinking a beer, a light beer. And I walk up and I just go like, yo, man, you like saved my marriage. Like you really helped me out here. And, uh -huh. he, and, he, and he sees it. He says, hey, good, yeah, all right. And he sees the beer. He's like, oh, man, you brought me. And he goes and he puts his hand out and he puts both arms out. Like, like first he puts his hand out. Then he's like, I'm going to give you a hug. And I right, and, and, and you're primed to be really res responsive to this because you like this feedback loop that's going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm trying, right? And so, and, and all of a sudden I see him coming. I'm like, and I hold up my hand and go, oh man, no, no, it's coronavirus. I said, I said, I'm just going to leave the beer right here, you know? And I put it down and he came and got it. And he talked to me for a little while. Um, and and he was so sweet, you know, because you you want to sort of positive reinforce, like you did this thing. Exactly, yeah. It's making a huge impact in my life. And uh, it's been great. But yeah, he, yeah. he tried to hug me and I felt so bad saying no mm -hmm. have you have you had people try to shake your hand yeah and i shook it <laughs> and, yeah and, and, it and, happened and, so quickly apart it was like the you know the hand was out and within a second without even thinking i was shaking it and, and i and, and i suddenly what? had this sort of wave that oh oh crap i'm doing the wrong thing here uh and but then so i i sanitized immediately afterwards and the next uh, time this happened, because I, I don't know if you've noticed that I, I occasionally find myself back in rural Arizona, and I don't know if you if you've been to rural areas lately, but the oh, coronavirus yeah. doesn't exist there. Hell right? no! So like hell no! <laughs> I, I go and I and, and this guy puts out his hand, and in the other hand he's got a bottle of hand sanitizer, and it's almost like oh here comes the liberal uh, city guy. I better, I don't know if he's doing this, you know, with everybody, right. but he puts out his hand, his right hand to shake mine. And I see it. And this time it was much slower. And I'm like, okay, I'm evaluating this. And I see on the other, on the other hand, he's got a bottle of hand sanitizer with his finger on the thing ready to go. And I go, wow, that's a new one. You know, I said, to, I said to him out loud, I go, that, that's a new one. I've never, I've never seen this. He goes, pretty good solution. Right. And I thought about it and I go, Maybe it is a pretty good solution. So I shook that guy's hand too. <laughs> and I let him squirt the thing. 
And so then, but I was thinking about that afterwards and I was like, wow, is that a, is that a good solution? I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> so yeah. there you go. Those, those are the two times I've, yeah. I've shaken hands that's not, in the last eight weeks. Sounds reasonable to me. Um, I thought it was okay. Man, I talked to a young guy today about, about who, who, who's, who's like dating. He's like, I just don't even know what to do. Oh gosh. You know, how do you even, how do you even start a relationship? Like, even if you meet somebody online, like at some point, you know what? Uh, it's funny you should mention dating. I, I have a, a friend of mine, uh, a, a young woman who, I say young woman, you know, she's in her thirties now. She's younger than me. So, but she, she's dating online and she has suddenly this permission. She feels like not to meet up. Whereas before it would always be sort of a stigma on like after a little while of, of messaging, Hey, when are we going to meet up? When are we going to meet up? And she's really enjoying the, the pressure being off. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I mean, for this guy, what I said to him, I said, look, you know, we are coming to that place. You know, like we have people over in our backyard around a fire and they sit 10 feet away from us and we mm -hmm. talk and it's nice, you know? Really nice. And, and you go like, are we, are we taking, is it a higher risk than if we just stayed inside and they stayed at home? Sure. But like, it feels like a reasonable level of risk. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, you know, that would be my first date. Like, you know, I, you know, I talk on the phone and, I'll, and yeah, I said like, Hey, you want to meet up at a park and I'll sit 10 feet away and we'll just chat. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, it might depend on the level of physical attraction well, as to whether you would trust yourself with that situation. Well, yes. I mean, I, from my, from my evangelical days, I'm famously, um, you're very good at this. Very good at this. Yeah. Denying my own sexual <laughs> urges. Um, right. <laughs> uh, you're very in control. I'm very in control. <laughs> but, yeah, when we were dating, Marty was like, I found it almost like insulting how in control I was. Yeah. <laughs> She'd get out of my car after we would kissed and stuff, and she would get out and then slam the door. And I was like, "What's wrong?" And she's like, "Yeah, I don't want to talk to you." Um, <laughs> On um, some level, that's attractive, though. By the way, but I think that you have to make a decision: Am I going to let this person into my circle? You know, you're not just dating them; you're dating everyone they've ever talked to. You know, like you're, you mm -hmm. know, you know. And so I think there's this sense in which it requires us to build a level of trust that, you know. When this person says, hey, I will, I'd like to date you. And, that, and that, what that means is I won't, I won't expose myself to other people without your knowledge. I, I think in some ways this is maybe a good turn to the question that you've got this week. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if you have that question queued up, but I would love to hear it. I do. And here we go. Works. I love your podcast so much. It's been a huge help to me. And it has one of the catchiest tunes to uh, open and close out each episode. Please never change it. Uh, I'm calling, asking if in this time of coronavirus crisis, you might, um, you might discuss the philosophical concept of antinatalism. It's a view I never really took very seriously. I heard Sam Harris debate it several years ago. Uh, but then it recently came up on the podcast uh, with Justin Brierley, um, uh unbelievable podcast. He had a debate with a, an antinatalist who made really good points and left the Christian host and the Christian guest of the show 
quite stumped. Uh, they didn't really have very many good rejoinders, and neither did I. I'm uh, really curious to hear your considerations on the topic sometime. It would make a great discussion for your show. Thanks for all you do. Stay safe and wash your hands. Antinatalism. A concept I had not actually heard articulated that way. Like I hadn't heard, I didn't know it was a, a word or a philosophical movement until this call came in. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you read the letter and I, I, I maybe I haven't even, I don't, I haven't heard it before then, or, or, you know, we bring stuff up and this one, I was like, let me, give me a minute. I got to do some research here. Um, mm -hmm. the one thing I was probably dumb, I didn't do was I didn't listen to that, um, podcast he mentioned. Um, I've been on that podcast actually. Um, that what's it called? Uh, oh, uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Justin Brierley. Yeah. yeah. You have been on it. Yeah. Yeah. He's a nice, he's a nice person. Um, he's a nice guy, but I didn't listen to that podcast, but I did do some reading. Um, especially about this guy, David Benatar, who is kind of the avatar of antinatalism. Do, do you know anything about this movement? Not very much, Bart. Like, um, so I look it up on Wikipedia and it says antinatalism is a philosophical position and social movement that assigns a negative value to birth. So as I understand it, it's not about the wish that you didn't exist now but it is about the uh, belief that it would be bad to be born. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it, 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 basically, what he's saying is, is like, listen, on balance, life, human life, generally involves more suffering than happiness, and it's so painful and it's meaningless. Like, it's not for anything. It doesn't help anyone. Like. There's no meaning to the universe. And therefore, we could, you know, the, the, the way we could prevent all the suffering that will ever happen in the future to all these children that are going to be born and they're going to suffer and they're going to fear death and then they're going to die is just don't have them in the first place. Yeah. So that on balance, you know, I suppose it probably springs from some kind of utilitarian ethic where it's like, it, you know, if you do the calcs, you know, if you do, I mean, on balance, you do all the pros and cons, the cons of life, the cons of being born are longer than the pros. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think anybody who's listened to this podcast for 15 seconds has any, has any question that like, I think antinatalism is fundamentally wrong. Um, okay. But like that, you know. I'm sure if, if David Benatar or any of these antinatalists were here, they would go like, yeah, of course you do. Like, <laughs> um, and I'm going to tell and, and they would explain to me why I'm wrong. Um, and I, I guess maybe we should get one of those guys or women. I think it'd be fun. I wonder if there are any women. I wonder if it's all guys. <laughs> doesn't it sound like, doesn't it sound like an all white guys movement? It totally does. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you're like, you're like. <laughs> Right down there next yeah, to the you libertarians know. and antinatalists. Yeah, 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 and and and, and <laughs> right next to the atheist clubs, right? Like, right, right. Um, yeah, no, and so no, that would be really interesting. Probably actually, to we ha to have one on. Probably we can't have that meaningful a discussion of antinatalism without one of them here. Right. We can, right. however, have a really good conversation about pronatalism. 
um, mm. which is a question I'm getting asked about a lot right now. Cause I, you know, really lovely people who love life are saying, is it, does it make any sense to get pregnant right now? To bring mm. a child into a world in which there's a very real chance that for the next 10 years, social interaction is going to look very, at least, you know, like, and this, this is, you know, they've been predicting viruses like this for 25 years. And, and, and the fact that we're getting one doesn't mean it's the last one or it's the worst one. No. All, all the circumstances that led to us, this, this COVID-19 existing, they're all still out there. But they're like, I grew up in such a beautiful world. Like, who am I to have a child into a world that's, you know, where they won't be able to do X or Y or Z? And I'm not buying it. I mean, I, mean I, I buy the concern, but I think that the cold, hard reality is, is that life was in the slums of Johannesburg or in Mogadishu or in North Korea or any number of places or parts of this country different people have had really painful and difficult lives and and poverty and struggle and they still had babies and they still had babies because the thing they were struggling for was to live and babies are kind of the ultimate expression of new life of life right you know, like it's our fundamental instinct. Like the, the, the original instinct of every living thing is to propagate, is to survive and propagate. And so you say, well, what about these antinatalists? And you go like, have they emerged before in history? And you go like, I'm sure they have. And you go like, well, where are their children? <laughs> Duh. Like the Shakers were antinatalists. The Shaker Christians? Oh, is that right? Yeah, they believe that sex was inherently wrong and you should refrain from it. They're put they're putting a lot on the con column. <laughs> Why? Well, yeah. And I think that they I think that they thought that Jesus was coming soon. And they're just like, yeah, you shouldn't have sex. And you go like, well, what happened to the Shakers? <laughs> like, well, they made some furniture, they died, and that was the end of Shakerism because they didn't pr you know, like there are all sorts of really shitty approaches to life. That and they they natural selection takes care of them, right? So what what is the pre are you taking issue with the premise? No, that no, life I, I, I don't okay. want to take issue with them at all. What I want to do is I want to okay, say okay. that the one thing all living things have in common is that they have evolved with a desire to live and to propagate. Right. Now, even, even in our species, even, even now, there's a real problem with a lot of people that come to a place in their lives where they don't want to live, where they don't see the reason. You know, suicidality is, 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 is very high and, and it's very troubling. And so it's not as though out of nowhere, the desire to, to end your own life or it, it emerges. I mean, life is hard. Um, 
And and you say, well, don't some some of those living things follow through on it? Like like they do. And it's very sad when they do. But in general, that species trait doesn't take hold precisely because the people that carry that species trait often don't reproduce. And then it emerges all by itself, but but it doesn't tend to like, you know, people that are really root. Yeah, people that are really suicidal are not big um reproducers. They don't have lots and lots right. of kids. Almost by definition. My favorites, the cockroaches, the dogs, the cats, you know, everything else that keeps going, keeps going because, you know, written on its DNA is a desire to keep going. Plants, like they all instinctively reproduce. And so that's literally the first value of life is life, you know, of all living things is life itself. It, it yeah. is, it, life is our original value. So, so for me, like I, I make no bones and you say like, but like, why do you value life? And I go like, well, why do you like chocolate ice cream? You just do. <laughs> not everybody does, but you do. And you go like, well, not every living thing values life. I go, no, actually that one's a little bit more basic. Like, and you know, all human beings have a natural instinct to be like a little bit, a little bit skittish about snakes. There are occasional people that are not, but like in general, that's like, that's a, an aversion that, crosses all cultures. Incest is one of those things that like in every culture it emerges like it's not a good thing. Right. And 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 there are evolutionarily evolutionary reasons for this. And what I'm saying is is like our desire not only to live but to have children and to consider that part of our life cycle and part of our part of the meaning of our lives and you say but wait a second there is no meaning to life. Externally, like that's just a meaning you're creating. And I'm like, yup, that's what we do. You say to me, like, but but can you can you make a reasonable choice for why caring is a good idea? And I go, like, I can tell you how it works, but I can't tell you like to tell you why it's there, I I don't know that there's any reason. Yeah. I don't know that there's any reason. So it's it's that whole um ought is problem. So you're describing this is how it is. And someone might say, well, but how do you get an ought from that? Yeah. How do you get I ought to X, Y, or Z? And I don't. I just get I want to. Because, I mean, when we talk about a value, oh, what are your values? Like what you're saying is like, what are your preferences? What do you mm -hmm. want? And, you, and, and you, know, you say like, well, are you saying that, that in some ways we just have to accept that human beings want to live and they want to propagate forward. And I go like, yeah, it seems self-evident to me that the vast majority of human beings, even human beings in dire circumstances, they're like, listen, my life may be hard, but I want to have the, mo I want to make the most of it. And one of the ways to make the most of it is to nurture a child. There was a time in our, in our agrarian past when people had children to, to till the land and children were an economic benefit. So you could say, oh, I could see why. But, but, it, but again, even before that, when we were hunter-gatherers, children were not an economic benefit. It was just something that slowed you down and you had to carry around. You'd be like, well, why do people? Because there's something inside of us instinctively that says, 
it's not enough to live. We want it to keep going. Mm -hmm. Life is a meme <laughs> that keeps reproducing. Like once life emerges, it's really persistent. And I love yeah, it. So li life has its own agenda, regardless of what the pronatalists or antinatalists might yeah, be talking about. Life is the disease. That's, that's what you're saying. You're, you're not even engaging with the argument for or against. You're just saying life has decided for us. Life is a disease and I'm a carrier. <laughs> life is a virus. Yes. Um, yeah. One of the antinatalists I read um, said that there's more suffering than happiness in life. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the guy... The guy and, and the guy who was talking to him said, "Like, look, I've got a thousand studies that would say that, on balance across cultures, people experience more pleasure than pain. Like, the, the, you know, like if you measure it out and however they were measuring it out." And 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 I found myself going like, "Well, it depends on which person you're talking to, obviously." But um, mm -hmm. the, the antinatalist said, "Yeah," he said, "But that's because you, you we've evolved to be optimistic, and so." people minimize their own suffering. And the guy was like, suffering is a feeling. Like if you don't feel your suffering, you're not suffering. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like it's not, you know, like suffering is about how you feel about your life. So like if you've evolved in such a way that you enjoy having nails driven into your fingers, like, then you're not suffering right, when it's happening. That would happening. be a very weird evolution. Right. <laughs> it, 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 but that's it. Evolution yeah. works in such a way that we, suffering is one of the ways in which we're guided towards things that will enable us to keep living and away from things that would harm our lives. Um, but the interesting thing, I, 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 there, was, there was a point I was working on and, I'm, and I'm, I'm probably, I probably screwed up, but oh yeah, here's the thing. So when I say, I love life, and I want to live, and I actually want to have children. And when somebody in dire circumstances wants to have children, and you say, yeah, th that's only because you only, you only love life because you're genetically predisposed to love life. And I go like, I know, isn't that great? And they go like, yeah, but you only think it's great because you have to think it's great. And I go like, all the better. Isn't that great? And you know, what they don't realize is it's like, it's a, it's a closed circle. Like once you're in it, there's no reason you're in it. That's what I mean. Like life has you, the, you know, the matrix has you, you're in it. And, yeah. and life is a, is a kind of a matrix that, that if, if you're born, once you're born into it, you want to stay in it. And you go like, and you want to keep it going. And you go like, but that's only because that's what life did to you. And I go like, I know that's what life does to us. Yeah. So, I mean, so I'm, I'm hearing you and I'm just thinking about all of the objections. I mean, is it, is it kind of like saying uh, I have the strong drive to eat meat, you know, and whether, whether or not, whether I decide you know, or like if I come up with reasons against it, but I, that's how I was, that, that's how I've evolved. So I'm, so whatever, I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah. You know, in some sense, all of our conversations and arguments are about deciding which values we privilege over which other values. That, that, that's values or preferences. Mm -hmm. I prefer. I would prefer to 
have sex with a variety of women. But I also would prefer to have a stable relationship with a partner who feels completely, that I'm completely trustworthy and that I will never leave them for another. And in the end, I go like, oh, which do I value more? And I go like, I'm going to sacrifice the one value for the sake of the other. Mm -hmm. Now, to pretend I don't want it, that would be ingenuine. But to say that I, I'm going to privilege the one value over the other, and you're like, oh, I see. So what differentiates between people is not what they value, but how much they value each thing. And I mean, that would be uh, what you call John, Jonathan Haidt's argument. By the way, now that, now that I've had um, Bart Ehrman, intellectual hero. Mm -hmm. You want Jonathan Haidt next. Maybe Jonathan Haidt would talk to us. And I love Jonathan Haidt. Right. And Jonathan Haidt would say that the difference between conservatives and liberals is not that like conservatives value freedom and liberals don't. It's that liberals value something else even more highly than freedom. And, and conservatives value purity more than they value creative expression. You know, like, like but that doesn't mean conservatives don't value freedom of expression. It, 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 it's like, it's all about the same I forget what he called them, sort of instinctual, instinctual desires that, that, are, that are sort of arranged differently in those different categories. Does, am I making any sense to you? Yeah, no, you are. And you so, are making sense. And so when somebody says to me like, hey, listen, I value vegetarianism or I, I like, I, you know, I just naturally want to eat meat. Mm -hmm. I go like, hey, me too. And, you know, maybe naturally or maybe culturally, like I was raised eating meat. I, you know, I learned to love the smell of meat. I associate bacon with my mother cooking in the morning and it was beautiful. We loved each other. And you go like, okay. And you go like, so you're going to take away my meat? And I go like, I'll tell you what I'm not even going to begin to attack is you're, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say a bad thing about your desire to eat meat. Now I'm going to, mm -hmm. I've got some other values here, right? All I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to weigh these things against each other rather than making a judgment on them all by themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because, I mean, that's, that's the weird thing. About, that was the weird thing about, you know, for me, fundamentalism is they get just like stealing is wrong. Is it really? Is it always wrong? Because I don't know, my kids are starving to death and like, you know, the authorities are withholding grain for some political thing. Like I'm going to break in and try to steal some. And you go like, do you, like, are you going to, are you going to steal that foot? Absolutely. Are you going to feel better? I'm not even a little bit. <laughs> and you go like, but I thought you valued honesty. I do, but I don't value it as highly as I value my children's lives. No, I get what you're saying. So don't give me any holding multiple values at the same time, some of which may contradict and you, and you got to figure out how, what the optimal ethic is. Yeah. And, and, and situational ethic. Okay. Right. Be right. Because. There are times when it is wrong to steal. And there and, and you go like, but how do you judge like what's your ultimate value? And I go like, I already told you. Life. Life. My it's my original value and in the end it is my ultimate value. And you say, and what is your what is your strategy to get what you want? And I go like, ah, that's love. Love love is the way. Right, and also you're you're saying I mean, when it comes to addressing that suffering that they were talking about, or like, you know, the cons list of, uh, of being born. Right. 
um, you know, love is a pretty good strategy for reducing all of the cons. Exactly. That, and, and that is what, you know, ultimately by every measurement I can give you, you get a, you give me a nice, happy couple and they have one child, their happiness will drop by a factor. They have a second child. It'll drop again. Third child, it'll drop again. Minute to minute, day to day happiness. Children are an incredibly reliable bad bet. You go, then why does anybody have them? You're like, oh, because that's not the only thing human beings value. They also value connection. They also value meaning. And there is there are few paths that more reliably give you a sense of meaning and connection than children. And so people continue to have them because they are what cause human beings to thrive. Happiness is a part of thriving, but it is vastly overrated. It is not the only thing. Here's a funny thing. You, you know all those movies, you know, pay it forward, all those conversations about pay it forward, like somebody does something to you, good for you, and you do it for somebody else. Children, I, I, don't, I don't know how to say this, but like it's pay it backwards. You did something good for somebody else. You gave meaning to somebody else's life. That's the price you paid for all that suffering. They brought you into the world to give meaning to their life. Okay? You, mm-hmm. I paid my debt to society. I gave meaning to my parents. I gave meaning to my teachers. I gave meaning to a lot of people. You say, and what are you going to do? I'm going to have a child and they're going to give meaning to me. <laughs> and you go, and, 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 and what advice will you give that child? I'll say, listen, kid, after what you've been through with me, there's only one thing I can recommend to you. Do it to somebody else. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, like the question, like I got a, I got a 15 month old running around. Do you think I give more joy to her or she gives more joy to me? Oh, for crying out loud. Like I'm, I'm old enough to understand something. I know I'm in touch with my mortality. I know this isn't forever. Like this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to have this baby running around in my life. Right. You go like, she's totally given it to me. She's totally giving it to me and to her parents and, and everybody, right? And you go like, so what does she get in, re- what does she get in return? And I go like, someday she's going to be 60. If, you know, if everything works out, someday she's going to be coming up on 60 and she's going to have some little thing running around and she's going to go like, oh my gosh, you know? And so, yeah, I pay it backwards. So interesting. Well, I mean, I, I'm I'm positive of one thing, Bart. We are not going to satisfy on this one. No. I mean, not in this not in this no. episode, at least. You know, it's one of those things where we scratch the surface, give a few thoughts. You know, all right, humanize me, listeners. Here's what you do: find us an antinatalist, a really good one, and connect us. Send send us send us who you think we should, like. We need we need a good antinatalist to talk to. Yeah, there you go. Bartcampolo.org slash contact. I know we have people to thank. We'll thank them on the next episode. Okay. Okay. Because if they, it, most people have probably given up on us by now and I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> like these people deserve real love. And so we'll give it to them on the next episode. John, I don't know if anybody else enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed talking with you, man. I enjoyed it too. All right. We're out of here. Thanks for being part of the show. Thanks, man. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. 
go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at Humanize Me Pod on Twitter and Humanize Me Podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search Humanize Me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. Hey, you could fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You can live for you ever wanted. Yeah. You could